Middle and high school cross-country athletes receive 20% off regular price shoes and spikes for the month of July and August, only at Three Rivers Running Company in Fort Wayne. Indiana Runner Podcast Special Edition, Dr. Derek Leininger comes onto the podcast to talk about his new book, Breaking Down the Wall, which he collaborated with legendary 400-meter coach Clyde Hart to write about. Cue the Derek Leininger theme music. That sound can only mean one thing. We are joined by Derek Leininger. Derek has just finished Breaking Down the Wall, a book about 400-meter training that he did with legendary coach Clyde Hart. Uh, Derek wanted to come on and talk about it. When did it Did it just publish today, yesterday? It, it published on Tuesday morning, officially. And this is your second book, or at least the second one that was published. I don't know if you got any manuscripts sitting around, whatever, any screenplays. Correct. But they uh, published two books. Yes, this is the second book. Your your first one was um, Enduring Wisdom, which was you went around and, and talked to uh, a lot of good coaches and me um, about what they they thought about. And the the thesis of that book was a lot of these coaches are older. They're getting ready to retire. Let's get a handle on what they have to say. And I, I think I'm the only active coach. Um, that's that's in the book that is still coaching high school. You might be, yeah. I mean, so, Phil Yoder left a few years ago. Tim Ray retired after last year. Exactly. I have to look to be sure, but you might be right. Uh, so these are similar in that they deal with track and field, essentially, uh, running, but they're different in that you've got a really narrow focus on this one. So what inspired you to do this this project, this particular topic? Yeah, so like my first book, as you mentioned, was on cross-country, and I, I have a cross-country background. But when it came to track, uh, my own in, my own background, well, I was much more of a mid-distance runner. Like I was um, an 800 runner, was my best event in track. I also was able to run pretty good on the 4x4. We had a state qualifying 4x4 team. Um, so that's kind of my background was more the 4x8 in track and then also, you know, cross-country in the fall. Um, but when I started coaching, so I – my um, when I was still in college, I was coaching at Concordia Lutheran High School in Fort Wayne with Brad Peterson. And Brad introduced me to what, he, what this Clyde Hart 400 training. And this was, I was in college. I hadn't heard of Clyde Hart. Um, I, obviously, I knew like the athletes that he coached, Michael Johnson, Jimmy Warner, uh, you know, the best 400 runners from, from that era. But I didn't know that Clyde Hart was their coach until I was, you know, about 20 years ago, I was in college. And um, when, I went, when I moved on to Snyder, um, after I was coaching at Concordia, I became the head coach at Snyder. And I did some more research on Clyde Hart, um, kind of found some stuff that he had posted online, some clinic notes, that sort of thing. So when I started coaching 400 meter runners in 2008, we, when we were at Snyder, we adopted a Clyde Hart model for 400 meter training. Um, it really is kind of hard. It, it was back then. It still is to some degree. It was hard to find like good quality material for 400 meter training because as you said it is very specific it's a lot easier to find books on distance training or to find you know information on the internet but when you're looking at like training high school 400 meter runners um you know we found Clyde Hart stuff that he did with college runners and professional runners 
and we just kind of modeled it down to high school and it worked really well um our second year and then you remember this colin because you you're a snyder grad like we we had a lot of years without um any success in the four by four and we had a couple pretty good relay teams that just couldn't put it together in, in may and june um so when we had our 2009 team that went down to state and were state runners up that'd been the first time in over a decade that we had been on the podium in the four by four. And then the very next year in 2010, we won the state championship in the four by four. And during this same era, the girls coach at Snyder um, co-head coach, and she coached specifically the 400 meter runners. Um, we had sub four teams almost every year and she was doing Clyde Hart. That her name is Ann Tiernan. Um, Ann was doing Clyde Hart stuff with the girls team. We were doing Clyde Hart stuff with the boys team. And it just seemed like we had a run of some really great success. Open four, four by four, four by eights. I mean, we were putting it together. Um, and it was really fun. And it was all based on this Clyde Hart model of training. Um, I ended up, I didn't, I stopped coaching 40 meter runners after 2013. We had some coaching change on staff and I wanted to focus more on distance runners. And then I loved coaching all together in 2015. But ever since then, I've always had a, you know, like an interest in those specific events. And then, and you and I have talked about this, you know, Colin, like post COVID the 400 and four by four have been two of the weakest events in track and field, at least in Indiana yeah. for sure. Um, this year, thankfully this year was better. Um, we had a lot more success both on the four and four by four, but like you think about the past, like 2001, 2000 or 21 and 22, there was only three total boys teams that broke 320 in the state finals over two years. That just seems um, the insane. Best, yeah, and the best girls team during that time was 352. Um, you know, there's only was, six. Wasn't that 352 with like a 52 flat anchor? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what team that was actually. I think it was North Central. It, they so then, they yeah, surrounded so a, an all-time great with the with 360s. Yep. Yeah, which that 60 is good. Like, don't don't get me wrong, but like, um, you think about how few teams broke 320 for boys and how few teams broke, you know, broke 356 for girls. Um, obviously this year was better. We had some, we had a 316 boys team, a 347 girls team. We finally had several teams back under 320 for the boys. Um, five girls teams under 356. Your Carmel girls ran, you know, 347 shout outs to the Greyhounds. But um, it seems like over the past four or five years, I've observed a shift. A lot more sprint coaches are going like full in, Texas Hold'em Poker, you know, on the river, here's the cards. On this low volume, high intensity, let's make sure all of our sprinters are being trained for raw speed. And the problem is, and that's okay for, for, for the 100, for the 4x1, even to some degree for the 200, although I, I would argue it's not appropriate for the two. But, like, if you're saying we're going all in on a 4x1, then absolutely go for that. But the problem I see is that sprint coaches – are not making a differentiation between 100 meters and 400 meters, which I think is absurd. It'd be like a, it'd be like you at Carmel saying we train our four by eight and our two mile guys the same way, which obviously I know you don't because you're successful in both. But we see, I think we see sprint coaches saying sprinters are sprinters. Um, let's just, you know, let's train them all with this raw speed. Let's get, you know, see how fast they can run a flying ten and all this sort of stuff. And there's value in some of that, but when it comes to 400. That's a really old approach. That's an approach that doesn't work. Um, research over the past 30 years has really disproven that that that's the correct approach to training. And it seems like we're going seems like we're going back a little bit as it, it pertains to 400 meter training. 
So, so anyway, I have, so, I have my yeah, own theory to jump in real quick. And I want to know what you think. And obviously a lot of the questions that I'm going to ask you is stuff I already know, but uh, it's so that we can talk on the podcast for people that don't know each other as well as you and I know each other. Um, why do you think that really low, really low volume, high anaerobic, all explosive approach to training distance runners and, or I'm sorry, training sprinters and, and just training track athletes in general? Why do you think that's become so, so prevalent? Well, I think a couple of reasons. I think one, it's, it's, it's easier. And if I'm a teenager and I don't know any better, you tell me to do the easier thing, I'll do the easier thing. Um, I think two, I think track coaches, um, not all the time, but in some cases, track coaches are, that's their secondary sport. They might be like a football coach who also coaches track. And in, in those cases, I think those coaches are trying to think of like, you know, how do I get my runners or how do I get my athletes you know, faster because that's what we need on the football field is guys that can yeah. close down and make the tackle. And, you know, the proper 400 training is not necessarily, you know, translating to football speed. Um, so I think there's, and I, and I think there's some, you know, people with influence saying these things and it's, it's easier to hear, it's easier to do. So I think a lot of coaches are accepting it um, even though it's not really appropriate for the 400. So, so the 400, I think, kind of gets lumped in with the sprints and it is it's a it's a sprint event but it's so different than the 100 meter dash that to 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 train them the same way is really crazy to me so so what what i wanted in this book i wanted to say okay i'm going to take a very specific thing high school 400 meter training and present ideas that give a wrinkle to what is happening now that there are workouts and there's a training approach that's appropriate for the 400 that is very different than what some of the coaches are doing with their short sprinters. And so I looked at, um, you know, Clyde Hart was, was my hero of the 400. He's, I mean, he's just, he's the best 400 meter coach that's ever lived. Um, statistically speaking, I don't think there's any way to dispute that he's coached men and women to Olympic gold medals. He's coached men and women to the American records. Um, he's had 15 different, um, he's coached athletes to 15 different medals in the Olympics in the two, four and four by four, including 11 gold. So like the, the athletes he coached, and these are going to be names that, you know, track fans will recognize. He coached Michael Johnson, who was the, the deal in the 1990s and early 2000s. He coached Jeremy Warner. He coached Daryl Williamson. Those guys were state, uh, Olympic medalists, um, in 2004 and, uh, Warner also in 2008. He coached Sonia Richards-Ross, who is still the American record holder for the women. Um, she won the 400-meter gold medal in 2012. So Johnson and, and Richards-Ross, they're still the fastest American 400 runners ever, although Sydney McLaughlin might change that here very soon at the World Championships because she's, she's running really fast. But, like, when you look at and – then and then look at his college success, he had 20 different NCAA championships in the 4x4. So that's over – over a span of, you know, multiple decades, he's constantly winning national championships at the college level with guys you've never heard of before. In addition to the fact that he's coaching these Olympic champion, world record, American record-breaking athletes, like he, he's just the best four-minute coach that's ever, ever lived. So I took, um, I kind of took a chance and I reached out to him. I found, you know, some contact information and I just sort of approached him, um, sent him a letter and said, hey, 
I'd be interested in doing a project. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the high school 400 meter training. And um, to my happy surprise, he contacted me back and said, I love this idea. How are we going to do it? Did you did um, you think there was any way that he actually would? <laughs> I thought there was a per I thought there was a chance, but give us not, a percentage. What percentage uh, chance did you think he would 25. be interested? Okay. I thought I, I thought, well, first of all, assuming this is the correct address I'm sending the letter to, if he receives this and physically <laughs> reads this letter. You thought there was a twenty five percent chance that he I would. thought there was a twenty five percent chance he would say yes. So you and you wrote said, him a letter. I wrote him a letter. Did yep, you type it or write it? I typed it. I'm not. You, okay, you <laughs> typed it, put it in an envelope, mailed it to his house. Yes. How'd you get his address? Uh, the internet, Colin. <laughs> okay. Oh, he was just listed in the white pages or whatever? You can, you can find anything on the internet. So I found, well, like I this also book. Knew, what's that? Like this book, you which is on Amazon. So I found, so his wife was also a professor at Baylor. So you can look, I, I looked up he and his wife's name and I was able to find an address in um woodway texas which is the you know the city a suburb of waco and i was like i'm pretty sure that's it um so i sent i sent the letter so he contacted me back and says i agree i think fortimeter training um is deteriorating at all levels really he he also sees it kind of at the college and professional levels as well he says how are we going to do this so we we talked back and forth i ended up going down to waco texas for a week last june so in 2022 um, I went down to Waco and spent an entire week just talking to him, learning everything he knew about 40 meter training, you know, recording interviews, writing stuff down, looking over my notes before we went and talked the next day. Um, it was awesome. It was so much fun just to, just to, to sit with, you know, somebody who I consider a hero in the sport and just get all this information that he's just, you know, it, it was, it was awesome. So then I ended up spending, um, you know, a lot of the summer and fall of transcribing interviews, kind of organizing ideas. He and I continue to email, call, text back and forth. Um, as I would work on a subject or a topic, I would, I would get his thoughts to make sure that, you know, I was on the right spot. Um, and then as I had time, you know, from my schedule, like, you know, I, I'm a school principal, so I don't have, you know, extensive time during the year, but like during Christmas break or spring break, or, and I obviously put a lot of time in this summer to finish. I would write and, you know, make progress. Um, and finally, you know, this summer I had a good chunk of time to, to get it finished. And we just published on Amazon um, less than a week ago. So pretty, pretty cool that, uh, you know, the project is now done. Uh, but now the goal, obviously, is to try to get it out there to try to really help give coaches some ideas on, on what might be a better model for 40 meter training. So how easy is it to self-publish on Amazon now? Well, I've only done it twice and they're six years apart. Um, it's, I mean, like, it's not a difficult process, um, but hopefully, I mean, the, the thing about self-publishing that I liked, because I talked to a publisher and they're like, we can do this and this and this. Uh, my concern is like, I knew exactly the book that I wanted to write and self-publishing obviously gives you the autonomy to make sure that you can write what you want and that the publisher doesn't get too many ideas um, or to, or take too much, you know, potential money from it. Although I don't expect this will, you know, I'm not going to retire on this, but, uh, but I also don't want to get, you know, 50 cents a copy for a book that I put a lot of time into either. So, right. um, so self-publishing kind of gives you, at least for me was, was important to give me the autonomy to make the book exactly how I wanted it to be. 
So oh, really over the last couple of years, and I don't know how much this, certainly some of it's been on the podcast, you and I interact with each other a lot, uh, mainly, you know, text, that we've talked about what we're seeing are, are kind of concerns with middle distance training 400 and, and 800 to an extent, but it seems like the four by eight the last couple of years has been has been pretty hot, um, especially this year. And the 800 has been has been pretty good. What are like what are the big problems essentially that you see with the, all the prevalent training for 400 or or lack thereof, I guess? Yeah, I, I think the biggest one I've already kind of mentioned it. I think that we have this idea that runners are either sprinters or distance runners. And there's a sprint coach and there's a distance coach. And that's okay if, I mean, if that's the only coaching staff you have. But my, my concern is, is that we think that all sprinters are sprinters, all distance runners are distance runners. And Colin, as you know, like you'll have, you have guys that run cross country and do track and you've had very, you know, great four by eight. You've had great two milers. I mean, you guys are always putting two, two milers up at the front of the state finals, but you don't coach those guys the same. And even though you've had some athletes who have been able to do both, like Cole Matisse in this year, obviously running crazy fast in the four by eight and coming back and winning the two mile. Oh yeah. He ran the mile as well. But, but you, if you were training an athlete for the two mile, it would look very different as, as opposed to training an athlete for the four by eight or the open eight. And I think distance coaches understand that, but sprint coaches, I, I just observe a lot of them saying sprinters are sprinters. Here's our approach. And I think very few schools have a dedicated training group or plan for 400 meter runners. So I think that's one problem. Um, I also, I, you know, as I mentioned this as well, like the low volume, high intensity training is awesome for your four by one. It's really bad for your four by four. And so I think that 400 runners are just not getting enough, what I would call race specific endurance. Um, I'm not talking about training 400 meter runners like a cross country runner. Far, far from it. But I'm saying the 100 and 400 are very different scientifically. And if you just watch them, it's apparent that these races are very different races. So I think this approach is really boosting some four by one numbers at the expense of four by four. Um, I actually have, you know, I hear, and I'm sure you do too, Colin, hear coaches kind of brag about, oh, well, our guys never run more than 200 meters in practice, and they never run more than, you know, 150 or whatever. And it shows. And it's like, and it, I, and it shows. Like, I look at your 4x4 results, and I'm like, yeah, I believe you. I believe that that's exactly what you do because your your runners cannot finish a 400. I'd love, and, I'd love to see a guy come up to you and be like, you're not going to believe me, but they never go more than 150 in practice. You're like, I absolutely believe you. I, I would have predicted that, actually, sir. I, I do think that's correct. So I, I just I, I don't know where that comes from, except for the, kind of the ideas I gave you already. Um but it's, it's really not helpful for the 400. So it was interesting back in, in 2011, quick story, I was presenting at the Indiana Coaches Clinic down in Indianapolis. And my wife was in the back of the room. Um, you know, she was there. We were there together at the clinic. And um, she was in the elevator later, and she overhears these coaches, you know, obviously not knowing she's my wife. Um, and they're talking about, you know, we would never have our, our ask our 400 runners to do that. That's way too much and that sort of thing. Um, and the, the schools that they're from, I've, and this is kind of petty of me, but, you know, that's that, that's me, I guess, Colin. I've checked, I, I kind of follow these two schools. I've been following these two schools for ever since then. And we won't say they who they are more, here, but on the Patreon. I'm not going to say who they are. I'm not going to say who the, they are. You might hear the name on the Patreon. 
<laughs> but I've been following, and they're just, they've never had really good 4x4s. They've never had a state qualifying. They're typically, you know, mid to high 320s. And these are schools that have these are had, schools, had a lot right? of success. These are good track schools, good cross country schools. In the, and the 400, ironically, seems to be one of their areas of weakness. And I'm not saying that they should follow everything I say, but, you know, when you, when you have that approach that we're only going to do low volume, well, then you're only going to have good four by ones and you're not going to have good four by fours. So, um, and I think, I think a third point too, I don't think coaches understand the science has changed, particularly in the last, since the nineties. So the way coaches are training athletes today for the 400 is very similar to how they did it 50, 60, 70 years ago. A lot of intensity, real low volume. Let's just, you know, get fast, 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 fast. Well, in the 90s and early 2000s, researchers in all sorts of track events realized that basically every single event, the numbers we thought were, you know, aerobic and, and anaerobic and like the endurance component and the, the speed component, to put it real simply, every single event, the number, the percentages of aerobic demands have increased. So we used to think that the mile was like, I don't know, 50-50, you know, half speed, half endurance. It's not. It's, it's, it's close. No, it's not even close. It's like 80%, depending on the re, depending on the study, it's like in the 70s, 80% aerobic, okay? Um, we used to think that the 400 was like 80-20 anaerobic back at, you know, 40 years ago. We know that now it's 60-40, and depending on the study and depending on the runner, it, act, it actually might be more like 50-50. There's a lot of research that says women have higher aerobic numbers than men. There's research that says that the younger you are, the more aerobic um, I mean, energy you use for the 400. This is all reasonable because the longer it's going to take you to run the 400, the more it's going to be aerobic, right? Exactly. So like coaches that are listening to this, your experience in those years coaching was with the boys, but this is even more applicable to the girls because of the 40-second wall, which we'll get to. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. The longer you run, so if you're a 60 second run, so a lot of this research around, you know, 400 meter performances are with elite athletes, you know, men running 45 seconds, women running in the low fifties, you know, like adult mature elite athletes. So if they're 60, 40, you know, aerobic to and or anaerobic to aerobic, your athletes are probably more like 50, 50, like half of the energy your athletes need for the 400 is endurance based oxygen delivery based that doesn't have like the here's 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 a, a something i'll throw out colin and some people might take offense to this the last 50 oh, meters no, of the 400 it doesn't matter how fast you are your flying 30 meter speed is worthless once you get past 40 seconds it is it is completely irrelevant how fast you are it completely depends on that point how strong you are, how much aerobic energy, endurance you have to finish the race without slowing down too much because everybody slows down in the 400. The 400 is a gradual slowdown, even at the elite level, even world record performances, you are gradually slowing down the, the entire second half of the race. Everybody is. So when you get to the end, it doesn't matter how like raw fast you are because it doesn't help you at that point. You're just trying to get to the finish line. So one of the things that's interesting about Clyde Hart is he was really ahead of the curve. He, he was pushing these 60-40 numbers with Michael Johnson in the early and mid-1990s 
before the research even came out to, to say this, and I talk about that in my book, it's a pretty big, you know, pretty big component to the book. Um, but I just don't think coaches realize that the more science, the more we understand every event in track, 100 all the way up to the two mile in terms of high school, every event is more dependent on an endurance than we ever thought prior to the 1990s. And that's true all the way from the 100 all the way up to the two miles. So um, that's and that's particularly true in the 400 where it's it's probably more like 50 50 for high school kids, particularly high school girls. And you still just see coaches doing almost all anaerobic speed training. And it's it's no wonder that the athletes struggle to to run well in a race. I mean, do you think that it's it's that you have to have a certain baseline to be fast to do it. So we just trick ourselves into thinking that's all what it is. Yes. Well, I think I think we could because we call it a dash, the 400 meter dash. I think we assume, oh, well, the, you know, the faster the person is, the better they'll be at the 400. And I would say the faster the person is, I would say at the 200, the faster the person is at the 200, the more upside they have in the 400. I would I would agree to that, but only if they're trained for the 400. So like when we were when I was coaching at Snyder and we had a, we had a phenomenal short sprints coach we were you know we were winning the four by four and our four by one was also running in the 41s and low low 42s but we never had we never really took from the short sprints up to our four by four it was typically our 400 group and four by eight guys coming down to the four by four because the 400 and 800 so i'll say this the 400 and 800 are like siblings where the 100 and 400 i would say are cousins i think the four and the eight are more similar. The four is more is 60-40 anaerobic. The eight is more like 60-40 aerobic, where the 100-meter dash is it's like 80-some percent anaerobic, okay? So if you're training for the 100, so here, here's what I would say, Colin. If you give me a 4 by one and a 4 by 8 who are both really good and are both training just for those events, and you put them in the 4 by 4 I'm going to take the 4 by 8 every day of the week, every so, day of the week, because they are already trained – very closely to what they need to do for the four by four. And that's just not true of short sprinters sometimes. I, I see this play out all the time because I talk to a lot of distance coaches in the state and they'll have like their dual meets and they'll run a sprinter four by, you know, this is our four by four. This is our 18 and it's full of sprinters. This is like in March, right? Late March, early April. And then the distance team will put their four best guys on it or girls on it. And almost always in those situations, I mean, unless it is like a big time track school that is purposefully training guys for the, or girls for the 400, the distance squad always blows them out. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's exactly right. And I, I don't think so. Now that shouldn't be the case because as we just said, if you've got better leg speed and you're trained properly, then you should be able to beat, you know, a, dis, a mid distance distance runner in the 400. But often case that's not, that's just not the case because they're not trained properly. Well, there was a guy that did, uh, I think his name was Ryan Banta. His, his last name was definitely Banta. That was the keynote speaker this year at the at the clinic. And he talked about the stuff that he does. And it was um, it, it was a lot of what you're what you're talking about. It wasn't the, the, can we say the name? It wasn't the feed the cats approach, this guy. And he kept saying, we train all of our sprinters, like 400 runners. And what we find out is that if you do that, they can run the 400 and they're also fine for the 200 and the hundred. But if you do it the other way around, 
they're not going to be as good. And he's a, he's the girls coach too. So that it makes even more sense based on the, just the math behind it. Yeah. I would, I would even go as far as saying I've, I don't typically see great teams that don't have a really good group of 400 runners. Cause as you said, four by runners could be a two, they could be a four, they could be a four by four, they could be a four by eight. They could be a 300 hurdler, you know, if they come from a hurdle background. I mean, you just listed half of the events, half of the running events in track and field are very close to the 400. And if you're not training 400 meter runners properly, you're pretty limited. You're either going to have a good four by one and not much above it, or you're going to have a good distance crew and not much below it, whatever the case. But if you've got a really good 400 training group going and a good coach just working with them, you have, you have utility for a lot of different events. Not to mention how much easier it is to run multiple events if you're training the right way. Exactly. So I, I've read, I've seen the book. I've had access to it and I, I was seeing it kind of as you were putting it together um, and you're pretty organized. So you have four key principles of 400 meter training. Can you outline those? Yeah. So as I, you know, as coach Hart and I talked, um, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of summarize. Okay. So what are we saying here? What are the big principles that people need to know that, that really kind of summarize and encapsulate what we're trying to say. And I came up with four of them, and I think these four pretty well set the foundation for everything else that we talk about in the book. The first one is the 40-second wall. And, you know, Colin, you and I talked about this a lot. So if you watch a 400-meter dash and you time it and you just keep watching, so you hit like 25 seconds, 30, 35, 40, once you get past 40, it is a different race entirely. The runner's form changes. Um, you know, they slow down significantly at this point in the race, they're relying primarily on aerobic energy, you know, during that last, anything past 30, 40 seconds, they're relying primarily on their endurance, not their speed anymore at that point. And if you're not preparing athletes for the 40 second wall, which is part of the title of the book, breaking down the wall, they're, they're really going to struggle. So I think number one, the 40 second wall is huge. Um, number two, and we've, I mentioned this already, the 60-40 ratio. So the 400-meter dash is about 60% anaerobic, 40% aerobic. So real simply put, like your body has two main energy systems, aerobic and anaerobic. Aerobic is your oxygen-based system. It's endurance. Distance runners have amazing aerobic systems. That's what they train for. Um, anaerobic is how do you work when you're going very fast? How do you have energy for short bursts of speed when your body's going so fast that it can't keep up with, you know, the energy can't keep up through oxygen alone. Um, and the research over the past two decades, really over the past 30 years, has showed that the 400 is far more aerobic than, than anyone ever realized prior to the 1990s. So I think that 60-40 principle, that ratio is huge. Um, number three, quantity to quality. So as you think about preparing like a year-long training plan for 40 meter runners, you've got to start with quantity. You have to you have to establish an aerobic fitness early in the phase. So if you're starting in the fall, the winter, depending on if you're college or high school, then as the season progresses, the training gradually becomes more quality. To the to at the end of the season, you're doing a lot more quality, and you're just trying to maintain your aerobic system. And so this quantity to quality approach, and we outline this in the book, um, is really important. And then number four, this concept of reloading. So how do you continue to get better, get more fit um, the further you go down the season? So we talk about this reloading principle. How do, you, how do you always make sure that you're reloading, 
that you're never getting too far away from your aerobic base and, and your aerobic fitness that you created early in the season. And, and Colin, this is a great parallel for distance running too, because I think over that same span of time, really good distance coach have realized like, hey, if you do like a six-week taper in cross country for a 5K, by the end of that taper, you have lost so much fitness that you spent months and months establishing. The same thing is true in the 400, although not it's not as drastic. But like if, if you're not constantly reloading and making sure you're not losing that aerobic fitness, then you're also going to struggle in races even as short as the 400, but especially in distance running. Be like a school saying, she wouldn't believe it if I said said it, but we do a six week taper. Like, I do believe it. I saw how you I ran in the semi state. And that's how I feel. That same when coaches say, just wait till you see us taper in October, is the same way I feel <laughs> about coaches who say, we don't run more than 200 meters in a practice. It's like, I, I already knew that. That, that is the, we got seven minutes. And I want to get through the, the rest of this book. And then we'll, we'll probably go to the Patreon for like maybe more even specific things in the book, specific workouts, things like that, that Clyde Hart suggests. Um, but I, yes, I, I think that every year in cross country teams running well in, in late August, early September. And then they start telling themselves like, wait till you wait to wait till we cut back wait till we cut back and it's like it's actually more of a threat than a promise like wait you till we cut like, back you know it'll be worse what i think those schools should do is not schedule keep any races it. until like the middle of september and say we're just going to keep training the way we do all summer until september and then then just like pretend that august is september and september is october and train your athletes to the middle of October like you would to the middle of September before you start hey, your hey, taper. Hey, well, don't give up all the secrets, man. And you're going to be money. That's what I would do. Uh, so those are the four kind of key principles. But then you also break the book down into four major sections. What are those? Yeah. So when we looked at, like, I had just, I had kind of had to organize this because I had so many great ideas and principles and workouts and, and these concepts and philosophies. I mean, so you have access to Clyde Hart. It's like being able to talk to, to Phil Hart. Jackson. I had access to Clyde Hart all the, the whole year, you know, a whole week entirely, and then the whole year back and forth. And so I was able to get all – so when I kind of organized that, I ended up coming up with the four key principles, which we just talked about. That's the first big section of the book. And in the book, I, I outlined these principles in much greater detail. Um, then I, I did like um, – like if you're doing a doctoral dissertation – you do a big literature review. What do the what do the current researchers already say about this topic? So I essentially did a literature review on existing 400 meter research, and I ended up coming up with 20 pages. And this is and I present it hopefully in a pretty layman's way. It's I don't we use we use the same terminology, but I don't present it in a way that you know some academic researchers would would use a bunch of jargon that nobody knows. I try to present it in a practical way. Um, and the funny thing is all the research agrees and all the research is what we say. I, it's not like I was cherry picking resources. There just aren't researchers who say differently. And so then the third major section was just kind of various topics, ideas about training, coaching the 400. And then the last section, which was by far the biggest section is over 40 pages. We get into specific workouts, specific training ideas, some guidelines on how to tailor those workouts down to for, down to the high school level. Because one of the big um, criticisms, I guess, of, of Coach Hart is, okay, yeah, he can do that with Michael Jackson and, or Michael Johnson, sorry, Michael Johnson and Sonia Richards-Ross, 
but what do I do with my 15 year old? It's like the same thing, just scaled down. It's like, you don't look at what elite distance runners do and say, well, they do tempo runs and long runs, but I can't do that with my high school kids. Yes, you can, but you're not going to run 20 mile long runs. You're not going to run, you know, three by four mile at threshold with high school kids, but you could do the same thing at an age appropriate level. So we try to figure out, okay, what does it look like in a high school model? And obviously that's my background is high school coaching. So it's pretty, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it's pretty um, straightforward and intuitive for me to like back that down and say, here's what high school 400 meter training would look like based on this model. So breaking down the wall, the book is, where can you get it? Amazon? It's on Amazon. Yep. You can get on Amazon. And, and you're listed as the author. Is Clyde Hart listed as the author? He's he's listed as collaborator. Yep. He's okay. so, so I did all the writing, but obviously uh, it would be unfair for me to say these are all my ideas. So he's listed as collaborator on the book. Yes. So Breaking Down the Wall by Derek Leininger, collaborated with Clyde Hart, legendary coach. Clyde Hart is the, like I said, Phil Jackson, you know, Greg Popovich. Uh, I was going to say Bill Belichick. We're not going to say that on the podcast. Um, okay. Two and a half minutes left. What's what's one big takeaway from the book? Single biggest factor of, of 400 meter training. So it's, it's written in the title itself, the 40 second wall. And if you, if you listen to the, um, the Indiana runner paid podcast, or if you buy the book, I'm going to talk about that in more detail, but the or 40 both. second wall is the absolute, crux of the thing and there's it's scientific like there is there are things happening in the body between 30 seconds and 40 seconds when you're running the 40 meter dash by the time you get to 40 it is your anaerobic system is done it cannot keep up with you it, your your lactate starts to build up in your body you really you can't avoid it the 40 second wall hits everybody the people who are not trained for it they have no prayer to succeed after that everybody hits it but you can prepare for it you can train for it much like the marathon where they talk about this 20 mile wall nobody gets to nobody's exempt from it but not everybody not everybody hits the wall and falls down i mean there are people who train properly to handle that and so 40 seconds is the absolute deal nobody can run a 400 meter race faster than 40 seconds so everybody from from high school freshman to Olympic gold medalist deals with the 40 second wall. It's how do you train your athletes to properly handle that and everything that comes after it. Um, and then connected to it, I think there's a lot of things like a lot of coaches, I think believe that you can develop speed or endurance, but you can't do both. And I, it's absolutely false. They're not mutually exclusive. You can make your athletes faster and fitter in the same day, like you can do a workout that, that has both things in the same day. And so you don't have to pick, oh, I'm going to do, I'm a speed or I'm an endurance. You can develop both. And we talk about that in the book, how to develop both so that your athletes are really prepared to run fast and they're prepared to have the endurance they need to hold up at the end of the race. Derek Leininger, you either love him, you hate him, or you think he's all right. All right. We'll be on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Indiana runner to subscribe. I love my little dudes. They my little guys. I love them.